This episode is sponsored by Echo. Hear clearly, care confidently. Learn more at echohealth.com. That's E-K-O health.com. And use code JSP for $50 off any stethoscope. Just Some Podcast Media. The thoughts and opinions on Just Some Podcast are of the hosts and guests and do not represent the views of organizations that employ them or they volunteer for. They are also not responsible for spontaneous black holes or nuclear wars that may occur. You have been warned. Welcome, 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 everybody, to another fun-filled and exciting episode of Just Some Podcast. This is Tom. Hey, this is Ben. Tom, how are you, man? I am doing well, Ben. Uh, weather's warming up. You know, things at work are going pretty smooth. Got a great episode. I mean, life is uh, is firing on all cylinders right now, Ben. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a good episode here. Um, we just announced that we're going to start doing weekly episodes of our other show. We'll continue to monitor, which is kind of our mystery, creepy podcast. So if you like that type of stuff, make sure you check that out, too. Who doesn't like mysteries and figuring them out and talking about why, you know, certain things do certain things? And people love that stuff, Ben. It's true. It's true. But we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about our episode tonight, Tom. We got the opportunity to sit down and interview Dr. Simon Maltia. So this guy is an active cardiac surgeon. He is born in Quebec. He's French-Canadian. He's board certified in Canada in cardiac surgery. Beyond that, Tom, he's got a doctorate degree in biomedical engineering and heart regeneration. And he has published over 160 articles, numerous books, but he's come on the show to talk about his newest book that we're going to talk about tonight. Yeah. So let's just back up another second. And this is straight from the old heart of JSP, Dr. Malte or Maltea, even though you told us twice how to say your name, we still found a way to forget and mess it up frequently. We're not even doing it on purpose. I don't even hold the fact that you're French Canadian against you and that you like the Canadians. So, I mean, we actually genuinely like, really like this guy. But we just found a way to butcher his name. So you're going to hear it several times when he pronounces his own name for us during the show. That's the one I want you to listen to. But other than that, it's a great interview. He is a fantastic guy. And honestly, after listening to just the first little bit about what the book is and how he wrote it, I was like, have you been following me? Like it just like I felt like maybe he implanted microphones and you know, my teeth or something and listen to everything I said. I, I couldn't figure it out, but it really hit home, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. So his new book is out now. It's called Healthcare Anonymous. It's putting yourself first to avoid anxiety, addiction, and burnout. And I got to say, Tom, I was very impressed with how candid and open he was about his experience, where he came from in writing this book. And, you know, as we are God willing, getting out of this pandemic and moving on to quote unquote normal life again, I think this book could be life changing to a lot of people. Yeah. Again, as a person that feels like I'm either having burnout issues or on the cusp of it, listening to him talk and hearing, like you said, some of the things he went through and how I could immediately identify with a lot of what he was saying. And I know I'm not alone. I know there's a lot of people out there that I think would really benefit from hearing what he has to say first and then making a decision if they want to buy his book. I think everybody should. But, I mean, we got to talk to him first, too, so they should get to listen and then uh, make a decision and buy that book and do yeah, yourself some good. And I thought the the really cool thing about it is the way that he approached it in that basically taking care of people is what's making us sick. And so he, he treats it like a disease process. So for all of us that are in medicine – we understand that. So, you know, we understand the signs and symptoms, yeah. the diagnosis, the treatment. And so I, that's how he breaks it down. And so, I mean, again, awesome stuff, especially, you know, with mental health being on the forefront of everybody's mind is it in the pandemic. But also, you know, he talks about some partnerships that he's doing with sports, you know, with 
like Simone Biles doing, you know, stepping out of the Olympics because of mental health. Um, there's just even outside of healthcare, I think there's going to be a lot of resonance with this book. Exactly. And I know another young, like, I think she was a tennis star. Like she was like ranked number one in the world. She just decided to retire at 25 for issues like this. So I think that this is one, a very timely book for all of us in healthcare that are coming out of the pandemic. And two, really, honestly, it's something that just about anybody I think could find some help in no matter where they're at and, and kind of apply it to themselves. So again, what a great guy genuinely really enjoyed. Hopefully he'll be back on the show for just about anything. Like that's how good the interview went is we were like, you, you could just come back for anything and talk about it. So, but to be fair, Tom's like that with every guest. So, well, yeah, a lot, but let's do our social media shout out. Let's do our new, your story you may have missed. And then we'll get into the interview. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, all at Just Some Podcast. Our website's www.justsomepodcast.com. Email jsp at justsomepodcast.com. Email us. Let us know if you're going to buy this book and if you are, what your thoughts are on it, because I'm really excited to hear some some feedback from this. And I know that Tom and I are planning on buying it as the book comes out. So, Tom, if they want to help out our show, what else could they do? They could go to our website. They could scroll down to just about the bottom of the page. You'll see an Amazon affiliate link. Click on that. Before you do anything, put anything in your cart or do any shopping, everything after that small amount of proceeds come to the show. We really appreciate it. And it costs you nothing. And uh, thanks. Also, don't forget to check out our other shows under the Just Some Podcast media umbrella. So, of course, we have Just Some Podcast here. We have Well Continue to Monitor, like we talked about earlier. We also have Nurse Papa with David Metzger and Buried Pleasures with Pollyanna Amazing. So make sure you check out all those shows. Give them some love. They need it, too. So. Time ready to jump into our story that you may have missed. Yeah. You sound so happy. Uh, so, <laughs> not the wanted, greatest commentator in baseball for nothing, Marty. So, <laughs> wanted to give an update. We've talked about this story a few times. So, we wanted to give an update on the gentleman who had gotten the first pig heart transplant. Sadly, David Bennett died back in the beginning of March after two months with the pig heart. They are not saying the exact cause of death, saying that only his condition had begun to, to deteriorate uh, several days earlier. Some of the physicians that work through this and through some uh, animal to human transplant programs were quoted as saying, uh, we have gained invaluable insights, learning that the genetically modified pig heart can function well within the human body while the immune system was adequately suppressed. That was Dr. Muhammad Mahudin. So, Tom, it's kind of a short story, but we kind of wanted to update that, but... Well, what are your thoughts? So, of course, I'm saddened anytime somebody with a transplant loses a life. I mean, obviously, we want the best for them. Um, all controversy in his personal life aside, he still was a person we were hoping would make it. We knew the chances were long, but as bad as the outcome was for him, often as it is in medicine, I hope what we learn will help millions that follow him. And while, again, I'm sad to hear about the failure, I'm happy to hear that it worked, even for a short period of time, and the insight will gain on how to treat this going forward. So all in all, it's a sad day for one, but a happy day for the rest of us moving the rest of our lives forward. And I try and keep that perspective when something like this happens. Yeah, and this isn't a problem that's going to go away. I mean, no, no. In, yeah. In the United States last year, we did 3,800 heart transplants. There was 41,000 transplants performed total in the United States last year. But on the national waiting list, there's more than 106,000 people and thousands die every year before getting an organ. So, I mean, anything that we can do to potentially decrease that list and decrease those uh, fatalities would certainly be beneficial. Tom, let's take a break here, and on the other side of the ads, we will get into our interview with Dr. Simon Maltia. Malte. Malte. <laughs> I, I don't know. Just wanted to mess with you. Tom, tell me how much you love your 3M Littman Core Digital Stethoscope. Ben, I love it so much. I've talked about it so much, and I've forced so many people to try it within my office that now three people that I'm aware of in my immediate circle have bought it, and they all thank me. That's how much I like it. 
Yeah, it really is a game-changing piece of equipment, especially if you're going to use a stethoscope daily. It has 40-time amplification, noise cancellation, the Bluetooth to the app, which keeps it updated, but also the app has been updated now, so it detects AFib and going to detect heart murmurs. Lots of cool stuff coming out from Echo, and they like our listeners a lot, too, so they're going to give you a discount for listening to our shows if you use code JSP at checkout. So if you want to find out more, it's echohealth.com, E-K-O-Health.com. Like I said, use code JSP at checkout. It gives you $50 off your stethoscope and lets them know that we sent you. Ben, have you been using your products from CBD Stat? I absolutely have. Matter of fact, last night, because I uh, had been staying up watching some uh, late night television, went ahead and used those drops to get a good night's sleep before my busy day at the office today. Well, Ben, I keep using mine, and just like I've said every week, and I'm going to keep saying every week following, this stuff really works for me. Every time I have a sore joint or a muscle, I put some of that you know, roll-on or one of the warming salves on any of my joints, and I feel a million times better. Yeah, no, it, it is some great stuff. The other thing I love about it is THC-free. It's made right here in the United States up in Vermont. And they love their healthcare people. So if you are in healthcare, they're giving you a permanent 40% discount. That's a permanent 40% discount. You go to their website, cbdstat.care slash healthcare. You fill out that form. You're going to get 40% off. But they also know, Tom, that we have a lot of listeners that aren't necessarily in healthcare, and they want to help them out too. If you're not in healthcare and you still want a discount, you can go to cbdstat.care, order the stuff that you want, and then at checkout, use code JSP20, that's JSP20, and you will get 20% off your order just because you listen to our show. cbdstat.care. All right, Tom, well, we have a wonderful guest here. I'm, we're, I'm just thankful that he's taking time out of his busy schedule. He is a cardiac surgeon. He's an author. His new book just came out, Healthcare Anonymous, Learn How to Put Yourself First While Pursuing a Calling. I want to welcome Dr. Simon, I'm going to mess it up, Mal- Maltia? Malte, close enough. That's good. <laughs> Mal- Malte, okay. Yeah. Dr. Simon Malte to the show. How are you, sir? Good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So as Ben explained or talked about just a second ago, you know, the book is about burnout. So what kind of led you down that path or what got you interested in wanting to write about that? Over the last couple of years, uh, two or three years, I was going through a, a lot of things. I mean, I, I was, you know, failure or, or has never been a really difficult thing for me, you know, since I had started. I mean, I was, you know, I just read that book. I love this expression. I was hitting a lot of green lights, you know, like it was pretty easy. And then over the last three or four years, it sort of started to have personal and professional issues. And I, you know, I was sort of wondering, and it started really by journaling, through, you know, it was like a form of therapy because I got at some point, got really depressed. I mean, I I was, you know, drinking quite a bit to forget and things. I was going through divorce, through professional things. And so it started to be like more of a form of therapy for me to write about the good stuff, the bad stuff. And then all of a sudden, it sort of became more of a community around me. I, I started to talk to people, sharing experiences. And all of a sudden, we just decided to say, well, why don't we just make a book about it and sort of crack this thing open? And we, we gathered a bunch of people. We talked about it. I informed myself and with experts. And we describe in the book thing we call healthcare disease, you know, sort of this concept that when you get to a burnout of anxiety or you get to drink, you get to failure, it's the sort of the acute manifestation of a chronic problem, which is acquired over, you know, 10, 15, 15, 20 years. And so that's really what the book is wanting to bring forward with really kind of a testimony. And the format is describing it as a disease from the preclinical stage to the clinical stage to the recovery phase. And it's kind of a comical thing to say healthcare is a disease, you know, sort of. So to us, it was kind of a form of therapy, but it became something that I think group that I work with pretty proud of. So, and one more thing, I know Ben's got a question, but I just thought of this. So if this process started, you know, approximately three to four years ago, so that means it was pre-COVID. So did you find more answers or did it seem to be more, even more relevant going through a pandemic? Yeah. I mean, it became, to our surprise, 
because I always talk about R because there's a lot of people that helped me through that process. I sort of was pre-COVID going through a lot of stuff and then COVID hit. And in some ways I was more in the recovery phase at that time. And so it became very relevant as people were going through a lot of stuff as COVID sort of hit. I mean, and, and COVID was more, and we talk about COVID in the book, the impact it has on healthcare systems and workers, more as a, like another factor to add through as more of a reason for things to get worse, right? So it's like you're having diabetes you know, you're sort of okay, and then you fi- fall in love with like a really good chocolate, and you sort of take it, you know, and then it really hits the roof. <laughs> so it, it was like this chronic issues with the system, and then you add another thing that's just kicking it to a different level and puts it on steroids, you know. So then, yeah, it became really relevant, and I felt like I was better equipped throughout the journey at that point to go through it, but, you know, the hope is that the book will help some people, you know, sort of get through that period, which is just starting, by the way. I know we're, we're thinking it's over now, but the repercussion of it has on healthcare workers and the system is just starting. And we're just starting to see what, what that will look like. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's just really interesting the way you describe healthcare as a disease. And I think so many of us that work in healthcare, you don't realize the kind of the constant barrage that's going on to your mental health until you finally reach that, that breaking point. So what do you think is some of the, the, the manifestations or how did this become a disease? I mean, was there a, a few things that you could really pinpoint or is it just kind of society and, and healthcare in general? Yeah, it, it wasn't an easy process for us to organize thoughts around this because we know we were on to something and it came to me and to us as we really talk, I really got in, involved with an infectious disease, a really smart guy, which they all are, in infectious disease. And he's like, Simon, why don't you just separate that into like the usual disease process? So in order to get a disease, whether it's, let's take um, E. coli infection, right? Get the infection. You have to have the agent, right? So the causing factor, the bacteria, but it has to go into a host, right, which is sort of the immunocompromised person or somebody that's going through something. And then it has to be in the perfect environment, meaning if it's cold or it's too hot, it's not really working. And if it's sort of warm, it's sort of, you know, so it has to come together to manifest itself, right? So that's how we structured the book. I, I, I come back to these vortices, these three, this triangle process of disease to say, it's the host, right? The individual that sort of has acquired character traits that were forced on him. There's issues like, I think a lot of common themes among healthcare workers, which is perfectionism, ego, sort of this self-criticism. So we go into details on that, how the host is, is an important factor. Then we get into the environment and describe what it looks like to work in healthcare, the changes, right? Sort of the administrative impact, the changes in the system over the last 20 to 30 years to focus on performance, percentages, money, the culture of always doing more of service, of giving it all, you know. And so the environment is, is it, we just, we describe that the, I mean, even the outside environment, like the shows, right? You watch The Resident, you watch ER, what it portrays as, you know, people that are like, you know, on the brinks of like getting to burnout and then the, you know, make out in the corridors and they have forces. <laughs> but I mean, but that's still, I mean, it's, it hasn't really changed in like 25 years. What you look on TV is the angry heart surgeon. The smart surgeon is always angry. And Dr. <laughs> House, he's a, he's a genius, but he's a complete narcissist and can't work with anybody. So, you know, you look at this, say, well, I need to be a heart surgeon. What's, what models do I have around me? And then you see Dr. A.J. Austin and the resident, and you're like, okay, now I need to be like that, you know, angry. <laughs> and, and then, and then you have, and then you have the the what, right? So the way you've learned how to interact with that system, right? So the so you have the host, the environment, and the way the agent, the way you sort of interact with the system, the coping mechanisms, your ability to say no, and so we really structured the disease that way. And then the, the result of that is that when we say, well, when there's a disbalance or a maladaptation between all these three things, that's where it comes out. And it's either like, you know, people get chest pain from anxiety, they get immune. I mean, I described physical consequences, right? People that have these, there's a guy that tells a story about how he was so anxious 
every time he was getting a hospital that he couldn't walk, right? And then there's other things like more like a behavioral things, right? People that change job frequently, people that get tired of burnout. Then there's this anxiety, the formal sort of depression stuff. And then there's other things like personal stuff, right? Failure, divorce, weight gain. The manifestation of it comes from this balance between you, the environment, and the way you interact with it. A couple of the things you said right off the bat stood out to me. So I got to admit, my first thought was when you're talking about your friend in ID and you being a surgeon, I, I really wanted to ask, well, then what was your plan? Were you just going to be like, okay, so I'm just going to find the problem and then just stop? Like, what, how were you trying to develop before he said, look at it as a disease? Was there anything you were going down? Because I, I mean, I say it in jest, but I mean, that's what surgeons are known for. You just find the problem and then remove the problem. Right. We're sort of doing things later. Well, yeah, it, it was, you know, make a decision, ask for forgiveness or do it and think later. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it sort of came all together. I, I had started to write already. Uh, and I was, you know, you start with this, you know, you, there's always techniques to write nonfiction book, right? So you you do like a map, you know, what you want to talk about. You just write. There's always a structure around it. But then it, it sort of didn't flow right. And I have like over 20 testimonies from nurses, patients, specialists and things. And although I had, I think the uh, the core of what I wanted to say, it just didn't come together. And so I, I actually sent it to one of my mentors, and he actually forwarded it to a. Um, I'm just being very honest. To a PhD who was a psychologist who was basically the doctor of doctors. So when you get to that point, he specializes into helping doctors get out of burnout and financial issues and HR visits. And he actually was very helpful. His name is Dr. Adler. He works at McGill in Montreal. And he has a full chapter where he summarizes all the different types of manifestation. And that's where I think talking with the infectious disease guy, it all came together. And one other thing is, and I found it really interesting the way you talked about like perfectionism and, you know, how healthcare workers are like that and how the system kind of drives it, or at least that's the way I took it. My question is, though, Healthcare, especially certain professions, surgery, you know, for instance, kind of seems to attract a certain person. So how much of this is the culture that we've built versus that's that person? I understand there's a shifting balance, but where do you think that fits? You know, if I understand correctly, what you ask is that the, you're sort of responsible for where you're at. And I think that's true. I mean, just if I look at myself, there, it, it was just no way that I mean, I was just bigger than life at every step, right? So I, I didn't just want to do surgery. I wanted to do heart surgery. I just didn't want to go in medicine. I wanted to be president. I wanted to, you know, be having the nicest girlfriend, the best results, the party the hardest, you know, so it does attract a certain type of people. Now, that being said, we have a whole chapter talking about personality and how we acquire traits and things. I think it's very particular in medicine, how we acquire these traits in the critical portion of our life, Right. So it's same thing for nursing or other specialties. They say you acquire those personality traits, adulthood ones, integrity, sort of respect, you know, and, and these things between 18 and 30 years old. And that's when there's all kinds of theories about it, but you can change it afterwards in an environmental sort of theory if there is big things, travels, you know, military, there's military sort of services, but most of it is fixed. And so between this period where you're forced, like I'm sure you recall nursing and things, but you're pretty young and you're like facing really big stuff. I mean, you're seeing people die. You're So those character traits, you know, are forced onto you. I mean, I mean, who, who sees um, disasters and mortality that frequently when you're that young? So in some ways, I think we're responsible, but you're getting forced to sort of acquire rapidly those those coping mechanisms, those character traits that are going to be forced on you because that's what the business is and the responsibility that goes with it. But you're not quite mature enough to be able to discern and things. And so we go in details. And when I started working, I was 31, right? So most of my adulthood was spending time in the hospital. And so in some ways, I think, yes medical school and training or, or nursing school or whatever healthcare training you're going through could be better about, you know, leveraging and gratifying some other qualities than results and rewarding like excellence to try to gear you towards the best 
route. I mean, maybe I would have been a better psychiatrist. I don't know, you know, but it seems like it, it just nurtured this part of me that always wanted more and more. And so that that became my way of dealing with everything in life. Huh. If we look at it like a disease, what are the main symptoms that we should look for either in ourselves or we should look for in our colleagues that maybe they're having some maladaptive type symptoms? Yeah. So for me, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. The system is pretty good about identifying when it goes, when you sort of show up to work, you're drunk or, you know, you have a car accident because you're too tired or, you know, you go in this manic, depressing, you know, episode or you're psychotic or you can't get up, you know, the system is pretty, it's easy to, to say something's wrong, right? But what we're interested in in the book is those subtle changes. And I think a couple of them, just to name a few, were, I mean, the things that come out of a lot of the testimonies is you, you start caring less, right? So this just becomes a job. You get less attached to people. The complication becomes just, you know, another one. You sort of adapt this just passing by strategy to cope with things. You know, it's another one. that, And then COVID really kicked this up to another level, right? There's so much of it that, you know, you sort of had to so this, and then for me, it became, I didn't have the joy of coming to work and helping out people. I just lost it. It was more like a job. And I, I, at some point, I didn't even want to do it anymore. So that's one. The lack, the, losing empathy is a subtle one, but pretty common among people. The other thing is being angry. We think, you think being angry is just a, you know, I'm sure you guys have seen angry doctors, angry people, angry whatever, but um Angry is not normal, you know? Angry is, and I, I mean, I was a regular at HR, like really regular, you know? And I went to charm school and all that stuff. And, and I, I did it in the service, right? I thought I'm angry because I'm asking a lot of my folks around me and this is how it needs to be successful. But being angry, it's like an emotion, right? It's like, the, it's a physical manifestation of something you just can't hold, right? And so it's not normal. If you come to work, you're angry every day. That's not normal. So I think it's a subtle change of, of burnout, of anxiety, of sort of overwhelmingly saying, taking too much on. So, you know, being aware of those things. So lack of empathy, angry. And then there's the obvious one. I think the having difficulties managing schedule, missing stuff, being late all the time, not eating well, gaining weight, feeling tired and chronically tired. So we, we go over that, feeling lonely at work. So, so, so this is the kind of stuff that's probably a bit more subtle, but certainly not normal. I don't know if you saw, I giggled for a second and it was not at what you were talking about. It was, I am pretty sure you were in my office literally today watching me go through my day. I was like, oh my goodness, <laughs> this guy, I'm pretty sure I'm just going to lay down on the floor sometime and just let you talk to me and just be like, okay, clearly I've got some issues and Dr. Malta has got the answers. So like, let's figure this out because like I said, and I don't think I'm alone. All right. And that's why I think it's so great having you on the show and talking about this, because a, you know, I think this is prevalent through our, our healthcare, and B, like you said, COVID put it on steroids. So I don't think I'm alone. And while I did find it funny, cause I was like, Oh boy, <laughs> this guy has certainly said some Tom traits uh, yeah. more than once. Yeah. I, I, I think it's vitally important that people, while it is funny to think about ourselves that way, to realize that it is a problem because when you said it, I guess I'd never really considered it like that. Angry is not normal. Cause I've been there so long. I guess I just assumed that's where I was. Right. And so hearing you say it, I was like, Oh boy, <laughs> this, this is a problem. And it's not normal. And it's actually going to be, I think we turn it around in the book and we just, we, you know, in the book, one of the things in recovery we talk about is, how do we? How do you check yourself? We call it virus scanning yourself every day, and that and part of that is to identify when you're angry. You know, when you sort of have this sense of like bursting out, like why are you at that point? Oftentimes, there's a pretty clear reason. You're either tired, you take on too much, and it's and it's de-escalating. I mean, I was escalating every little thing, whether it's work, it was my wife, it was every decision that was like not exactly how I wanted it to be became like this this, you know, platform for me to just burst out, you know, yeah. or to shove my opinion into people's throat. And, and I including my ex-wife now, but, and I, I don't think that that's a normal behavior in any context. Ben, stop looking at me. So. <laughs> <laughs> so. 
It's like Dr. Malta is the Illuminati. He's in my head right now. Like it's kind of freaking me out. I was just planning on buying you the book. That's all. I'm just uh. <laughs> Yeah. I'm gonna need two copies, one for at work and one for my house, just in case. Because the thing is, I also allowed myself a lot of this stuff, right? You say I work so much, now I'm gonna go and, and pass out drunk, you know, because I'm allowed to do this because I just served for ten days straight, you know. And I'm going to go to the, eat these couple hamburgers because, you know, I've worked so much and then just and, and, and became I mean, for me, it became pathological relationship with a lot of stuff that were justified by, you know, for the greater good or whatever, for what I was doing, you know. Huh. So. Again, going back to it being a disease process, we've discussed the diagnosis, we discussed the symptoms. Next is treatment. So what's how, how do we treat this? Well, what I was going to say is I, I like Ben's question, but I know he's got a book that explains this. So no, is I, know, like a, I don't want to get like a yeah. general. Yeah, no, you know, the, the hard part about healthcare, and and I'll say this about the disease, you know, it, it's contradictive, right? So who would work in a chocolate factory being diabetic? It becomes real tricky because who would be an alcoholic and work at the you know, alcohol store, like the, you know, like a, a beer liquor store. So, you know, it's like you're, you realize you have a problem with the healthcare, let's say, and then you sort of still have to do it and it pays and that's, you have to go to work. And so realizing that is probably the first step and, and not ignoring it. And we go over that right in the book, not ignoring that you have a disease. It's the first step of any recovery, right? I have it or whatever, assuming that you have a higher self-control, whatever, you know, that's the first step. But like it's just realizing that you have a problem and, and that you need to do something. So the first step in, in the recovery for, for me in the book was obvious was to take a pause, you know, take a make yourself time and i'm reading the i'm reading this book now which is kind of a funny book but called a unicorn space so make your unicorn space right so create time to think about yourself create time to and that requires actively making the time dropping stuff for me it was it was like you know going over meetings and stuff i was doing that was not important taking a pause in terms of cases i actually went to thailand for a while to to think you know, not everybody needs to do that or can do that. But, but you know, like I, I think taking a pause and reassessing everything and making time to think about this. Then I think it's realizing and, and, and that you are not God. A lot of the work we do, um, and, and that's a figure of speech, is, to, it, it, is that you, there's, there's things you can control. The system is such a way. The patients are such a way. You're just another bozo on the bus, right? So you have a role to play. <laughs> And that's another quote for somebody else, but <laughs> I like it. You're not the one driving that you're not. You're, you're, uh? I said, I like it. I'm going to use that. Yeah. Right. You're not a bozo on the bus. You're not driving the bus. You're not the funniest bozo. You're just one other bozo. So <laughs> you're, you know, you, but you have a role to play. Meaning when you do your job right and you have outcomes that are not quite the ones you want, then it's okay and you have to start learning how to deal with that. And it's okay to assume that there's some things that you can't change. You just come in as a tool to help someone in the bigger scheme of their life. You know, they come in with many years of issues or behaviors or habits that led to the moment. You do what you can. And if it doesn't go well, well, it's not, it's okay. You know, as long as you played your part, you know, and did it right. So that's harder said than done. And then we go over like this step recovery process that includes checking yourself, like I was talking about, virus scanning yourself on a daily basis, you know, ta talking it out, speaking up, starting movement, talking to your friends, gathering and, and gathering people around you that are like-minded as well. I mean, oftentimes, how many times you've been in a dinner? I think mean, I know for doctors, it's pretty common. I just had one recently that was that worried me out, but when you you go to these dinners, it's sort of like these. I call we called it the the we used to call it the the cone of silence dinners, right? So you go to this restaurant, you you, you eat in the sort of the round table, and it's a moment to just talk about everybody. You know, this one did that, and this one did this. I mean, talk about how negative that is for someone. So uh, surround yourself with people that are like minded. That means sometimes to 
be resilient to sort of go over things that people have done to you, forget, you know, which is not always easy in what we do. And so, yeah, we go over that, some of these like tips and, and things to do that has helped me and that have been like the common denominators among people that I've, uh, that I've, that I've, you know, interviewed over the last couple of years. You know, you're talking about knowing your role basically as a bozo on the bus and you're not, you know, you're not driving the bus. That reminds me, I had a friend who's a colleague and I had lost a young patient and it was, I was really beating myself up really bad about over it. Just feeling like I could have done more. And he told me something that has stuck with me. It's been probably five years now. He said, you know, there's three types of patients. There's a patient that's going to live no matter what you do. There's a patient that's going to die no matter what you do. And then there's a patient that you can really help. And he says, and that's what you need to focus on. And I was like, I mean, it just, it, but that, analogy of, of the bus is very similar to like there are going to be people that no matter what we do we're still going to lose them so we really got to focus on the ones that we can't help right and actually gave a talk on i have a pretty good long talk on managing mortality in these high intensity jobs and we go over exactly what you're talking about. There are people that are going to die that have a high risk of mortality. There are people that um, are going to live and they're, they're low risk people. And then there's like the middle part. And that's the one you need to manage. That's the gray area. That's the one that, you know, you need to be attentive to details because they're the ones that you can influence the most, you know. And, that you know, fortunately enough, that's above 70 percent of the ones we meet, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know, but that's a great, yeah, being a, the bozo on the bus, it's an old book. I can't recall who the author is. I'll send it to you yeah, guys, please. but I just read that quote. I thought it was a great, I thought it was a great analogy. I mean, because you hear that a lot in meetings, right? I, well, how many times have you heard this? You get on the bus or you get off the bus, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I actually, it's, it's kind of funny because I just heard it on one meeting recently and I just said, you know what? I'd just rather be another guy on bus. the bus than just stay <laughs> yeah. on the bus. You know? <laughs> The bus is just the bus, you know, you don't, you're not driving it and you're not managing the door. You just sit in it, you know? So, <laughs> Well, Doc, I think we're getting close to wrapping this up and it has been a great talk. So before we go, obviously we want to get, you know, the word out. So where are places that they can find information on you, the book, buy it, all that stuff? Yeah. So, I mean, we've created a website, healthcareanonymous.com, where you can, you know, of course, buy the book. All the Once it gets released, it'll be available and also in all the usual suspects. You can pre-order the book on Amazon, BAM, you know, all the all the usual places. We also have offerings in that book. I mean, we have, I've created a workshop program where actually I'll come to your place, do a 360 analysis and uh, give a talk, have people kind of learn on the topic and just give a, we call it the SWAT visit, you know, mm -hmm. the healthcare anonymous SWAT visit. So we come in, we assess things and we help you got to try to get a little bit better. The whole point about the book is raising awareness on this. And I think we're going to need that moving forward. A lot of the themes that we have, I mean, you talk about other people listening to your show, healthcare in some ways in high intensity environment, other high intensity like groups have started to come out. I mean, you see athletes now, you know, Olympic athletes, hockey players being sort of mindful about those things. So I actually associated myself with a couple of partners and a former soccer player in the World Cup who is retired now. And, um, and you know, we created a company that's called BreakthroughPoints.com. We can go there, Breakthrough Points. And we basically offer services to try to help people function better. You know, so we call it the flow state, right? Attaining this flow state within these environments where you have to perform or you have to so you can we offer coaching we offer visits you know even education and things like that so breakthroughpoints.com healthcareanonymous.com are the two major places and of course all the major distributors as well awesome and we'll make sure we drop those down in the show notes so that they can just click on them there i do want to plug the full title of the of the book and like i said we'll have links to purchase it on amazon healthcare anonymous learn how to put yourself first while pursuing a calling Doc, we appreciate you coming on. Um, we can't let you go though without we doing without doing our normal segments we do with all of our guests, and that's five questions. Join us on a journey into the inner psyche of our guest as we ask five, 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 five questions. So we're going to play five questions. I ask the questions. Tom makes fun of your answers. So okay. 
Yeah, shoot. Question one. What's your favorite medical word? Code blue. Okay. I, that's a, I, Tom, what do you got for that? <laughs> so, Ben, you know, our last guest, we did five questions, stumped me with a couple. And honestly, I'm going to not make fun of this answer because I wish I'd thought of it. Well, so I was in trauma ICU and an ER nurse before I went into family practice. And I got to be honest, it, and I don't mean this bad for anybody that's not in healthcare. I don't want this to sound bad, but, and I don't mean excitement like, like a roller coaster excitement. I don't mean like pleasurable excitement, but I didn't have to think. When you said code blue, my entire world shifted. I was only focused on that person, that patient, anything within a five foot radius of me. If you didn't exist there, I did not give a shit. I was just focused on what I was doing. And that is a feeling that is hard to tell other people about. Like you, I could tell you all day about being in a code blue, but until you've been in the code blue, it's just, you know, yeah. It, it's some other things I, I've been in police chases. I could tell you what it's like to be in a police chase, but until you are red and blues chasing a guy that's trying to get away from you, you can't really describe that feeling. So yeah, that's a perfect answer. No, we were talking about it today because all that stuff we're talking about, like the, you know, the resentment, the culture, the stuff that's going on, the mental health, like when you hear that word, like you automatically become dedicated to helping out others, irrespectively of whether you don't like them, irrespectively of you just had a, you know, we've been angry with somebody. You just, everybody stops. And then, so it's a very powerful world, I think. In, it in is. Our, and it's like flipping a switch, literally. And, and for those that don't know or have only seen Code Blues from television shows, what he said is 100%. You could be in the middle of something and all of a sudden you hear the overhead you know, incoming, you know, whatever your hospital protocol is, but it's something like that incoming priority one code blue, you know, five minutes. Yeah. And a matter of fact, you know, a matter of fact, the, you know, the book was, is translated in French, you know, cause it was bought by French editor and the French editor changed the title for code blue. Oh, French. that is, that's fantastic. So look at that. Look at that, Ben. We even got an inside what's going on. Yeah, inside scoop, code blue. Question two, Doc. If you could do any job in the world other than what you currently do, what would it be? You know, I always wanted to be in philosophy. Like, you know, like wearing flip flops <laughs> in a basement with candles, writing like Socrates and stuff. It just didn't make I was really good at it in college. And then I just got convinced that I wouldn't really make much money out of it. So that was so, what I was um, going to say. Was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, Doc, that's uh, where I was going to go with making fun of this is, boy, flip flops are great because that's all you can get. So that's uh, <laughs> when people say, oh, I love being at the beach. I'm like, yes, because you're homeless. So, yeah, that's, you know, that's a great system you built there. It's self-fulfilling. Yeah, of course you're happy because you have no other choice. So there, yeah. It's yeah. full circle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I took the Pascal's wager and bet on money. So that's what I did. So there there it is. I mean, it's all about money. I love the ideas. I mean, at the time there was some, yeah. So, I mean, there was like big ideas, you know, inventing stuff. But yeah. It, yeah. Question three, Doc. Think back to your first car. Was it a stylish ride or a rolling turd? It was a rolling turn. It was like a and and, and a Hyundai XL red one, you know. As like a, it, it, it was like way too old. Nothing was working. I had to put as much oil in it than gas, you know. And and, uh, and then I had to. My finger had to be on the broken, like you know, like those knobs, you know, for it to like for the music to play. <laughs> oh my goodness! So yeah, so not the a hundred thousand mile warranty to or bumper to bumper warranty Honda. You had the yeah, yeah. you had that one. You had to. Yeah, my dad said, you know, I'm gonna get into the car just to. See, you know, because at some point it was smelling and things. <laughs> he said he was going to take a ride with me. We drove it right to the pot, the shop, and then we sold it for fifty bucks. <laughs> wow! Oh wow! Oh my goodness! I want to make fun of that answer, but honestly, it, it you did the job for me, Doc. I don't yeah, even have yeah. to do anything on that one. That's a good. I like that. But see, that's a real rolling turd. Because every once in a while, somebody's like, "Oh, it was terrible. It was like you know." Buick LeSabre and it was really I was like that's not a rolling yeah a Hyundai that you had to put your finger on the button to hear music I carried like the, uh, 
these boxes of oil, you know, <laughs> so I could like, so like I would put gas in and I would open the thing and put oil in it. This is much. <laughs> yes. And all the environmentalists in the world just sighed. <laughs> just oh, listening to that. So. Like, not buying the book. Got, you know. <laughs> question, don't like that. Guy. Question four. If your house is on fire, everyone, including your pets are safe. Other than pictures, what's the one thing you want to get out of your house? You know, the, the one thing, I, well, my dog, no, I guess. You know, the, the pets are safe. safe. Pets are safe. Yeah, we're not oh, that cruel, the doc. Come on, man. <laughs> I mean, the, the material stuff, uh, is, uh, um, you know, I'm not really attached to much of that stuff, but that's a good question. Well, that's the only kind we got, um, doc, are the good ones. Yeah. So. Sorry. This <laughs> <laughs> tells me a bit about me. I don't, as long as my people are safe, I don't give a shit about clothing or whatever TVs or well, the guitar. First. I would take my guitar out. How about that? Your guitar. Okay. What kind of guitar is it? I have an electric guitar. It's like a Gibson newer model. It's not, a, it's, it's not a bit more, but yeah. Okay. An electric guitar Gibson. But your house is on fire. So what are you going to play it with? <laughs> I'm play that. That <laughs> you play exactly that song. Your house on fire. You know? burn, burn. Yeah, the talking heads, go. burn, motherfucker, burn. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I would. See, that's a, if I saw a guy playing a guitar, singing "The Roof Is On Fire" outside of his own house fire, I would fall on the ground and piss my pants. I'd laugh so hard. Like I don't know what other thing. Yeah. I mean, it's an automatic hit on medias, right? The guy just sitting and then playing like, bird, 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 bird. yeah, funny. yeah. Uh, and also, the cops will soon be investigating you as well for possible arson. So, yeah, have some alibis <laughs> yeah. lined up. But I'm just saying. Yeah. Question five: You have nine dollars and eighteen cents in your pocket. You're at a convenience store or gas station. What all do you buy? You know, I knew exactly what I, the old Simon would have bought, <laughs> but but the new assignment probably like a, like a bunch of lottery tickets. Hey, <laughs> you know? there you go. Trying <laughs> to turn this thing around, you know. <laughs> I like it. I like it. No, yeah. Again, um, it's one of those answers. I mean, there's things like, it, but it's just a good answer. Like, hey, like, yeah. But you wouldn't even get like a bottle of water, like nothing. No, I mean, you can always, you know. I, you can always make I mean, find that stuff, I guess, you know, yeah. um, well, not all of us have a Hyundai of wonder. Like I can't just reach in the back seat and pull shit out. So you would have bought like probably an oil, like a paint of oil, you know, <laughs> don't drink that. <laughs> yeah. No, but like, the, oh, well, yeah, I wouldn't have drunk, but put in his old car, you know, like uh, motor yeah. oil. Yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> to get further. So that's the last question. I actually, I have a bonus question I oh. want to ask. No, it's good, Ben. So you are from Canada, correct? I didn't read that wrong, did I? Right. Nope. So nope. French Canadian. So I got a feeling I know the answer to this. Who's your team? Montreal Canadian, for sure. You guys, yeah. Did I? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's I like the- have a, an internal hatred for the Montreal Canadiens. I am a Columbus Blue Jackets fan and I can't remember oh, what the game was, but I you guys were just killing us and I was like that's it. I hate the Habs. I can't deal with this. I Wasn't it recently like when they got further I did I mean I was fortunate enough, you know if you follow the older hockey, but you know Gila Fleur, like the the flower, like the sort of No, I'm still relatively new to hockey. He's in the, he's in the, you know, the, I have a good story to tell you guys, but he's, um, he used to be pretty famous. He's the most, I did his part, you know, his bypass surgery and uh, a couple of years ago. And then he was sitting, you know, in the ICU bed the next day. And he's sort of this famous thing. And you know, the heart, the, there was this newspaper article, how his heart stopped, you know, for his fans for a couple hours while the surgeon was doing surgery, sort of this, you know, and then. He's texting on his phone, right? You love the story. You know what it's getting at. He's texting on his phone, and then he says, um, hey, Simon, can you help me out? Like, I, I need to enter this new contact in my phone. I know it's American number. I don't know how to do that. So I, I just – I take his phone. And I say, see, you say add contact here and things. Say, Who was the name? And he says, Bobby Orr. <laughs> so, so I'm like, uh, what? <laughs> what did you just say? And he's like <laughs> – he looks at me and he's like, "What? You don't know how to spell it?" And I'm, "No, I'm good. I know how to spell Bobby." <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's like asking so me. Texting. I was gonna say that's like asking, "Do you know how to spell Gretzky?" Yeah, I've heard that one before. Yeah, <laughs> like, 
or they use text in it or like O R R, and I think we're good. You know? <laughs> yeah. That is fantastic. Yeah. No, yeah, no, I'm a huge hockey fan now, and uh, okay, I was hoping you were going to say the Maple Leafs, but then you said the Canadian. I was like, oh boy. No, actually, I have a, I have a hate hatred for them. I mean, they, they, <laughs> they, I mean somehow, it's like, I mean, it's the French part of me, right? I mean, you have this. There's a, you know, the English part of Canada with the hockey has always been very competitive with Montreal. So, it, you know, it's pretty high intensity hockey over there. Uh, well, I was my best friend is a former player from them. So you know, I have a special, uh, I have a special, you know, interest for that. So, well, I, maybe I hate him a little less today, but I'm just saying I, like, oh boy, I, me and yeah, the Habs. You got to go to a game. If you go to a game in Montreal, it's one of those things that, you know, one of the hundred things you should do before you die. You know, you, you know what? I've talked to Ben about this and I have tried to tell him because, like I said, we I love the Blue Jackets. They're a small market team. They're, they're my team. And I've been like, you got to come up. You got to come up and see like when you go to the game in person. It's it's a different. whole yeah. different experience, and you fall in love with it. So, but Doc, I won't yeah, keep you yeah. on any longer. Otherwise, we could talk yeah. about this all night. Go to, you have the chance to go. It's the smallest arena in the league. The Jets, Winnipeg Jets. Yeah, there is like fifteen thousand you know seats in their arena, but it's packed every night, and it's the best experience. I'll say, ever. Doc. Uh, I'm pretty sure we have high school arenas bigger than that up here. So, <laughs> yeah. I know, right? But it's still, it's a great experience. But yeah, you should definitely go see a game, Ben. And when it, yeah, Ben, you got to come up and I will try and time it so that it's when we're playing the Habs and we'll get a hold of Doc here and just let him know how bad we beat special him. I'll, oh. I'll, yeah, special and fly it over. Yeah. Oh. Well, Doc, thanks again for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. I really hope that lots of people check out this book because I really think that like you said, as Especially we're coming out of COVID, I, I, we're going to have all kinds of issues in healthcare. And so I really hope that this book can help a lot of people. Yeah. Thank you for the invite, guys. It's been great. It's certainly been uh, been being a good journey and just happy to share my experience, you know. So thank you yes, for the, the great show. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Practice just to pass the time. Lately, I see why. I am alone I caught some road bridge and I thought of you And all the many times you say I should have known